personal father that's our cry today that our praise would be pleasing to you acceptable to you we look and we long for that day coming when all the earth will be filled with your glory all the earth there will be peace there will be love there will be no prejudice there will be no anger there will be goodness and kindness for you will rule and reign in every heart and so our prayer is come quickly Lord Jesus we pray amen good morning again and welcome to 12th Avenue we're so glad that you're here today before I forget, between the services this morning, we'd like to have a prayer for Tim and Christy Wright as they're going down to Tulsa tomorrow to explore some things about treatment options. And so if you'd like to pray with them, they'll be in rooms five and six. I didn't think of that. That was a good catch. Um, but it's a great idea. Praise God. Our text this morning, 1 Samuel chapter 8. I said it now because I was afraid I'd forget at the end. 1 Samuel chapter 8. We are continuing today the greatest story. Now, why do I call this the greatest story? It's because it is. It's the greatest story of all. It's the story of how sin entered the world and mankind was broken and alienated from God who is perfect and holy and just beyond what we can even imagine. And God takes a crisis like this, a seemingly impossible situation like this, and he turned it around. Beyond what we could ever imagine, he came through with a plan of, of redemption and salvation and light and life where there was death and hopelessness and darkness. And that, my friends, is the greatest story of all. And that's what we find traced out in the Bible. If you don't have one of the charts, let me encourage you to pick up one of the folders uh, back at the welcome kiosk after the service this morning. There's a chart that shows Act 1. There's going to be three acts. Uh, we're in the middle of Act 1 right now, and it is the longest. And then there's going to be an Act 2 and an Act 3. And I'm not going to tell you much about that because I'm going to kind of keep you in suspense till we get there, so you'll keep coming, you know, so... Anyway, but we're in Act 1 this morning, which is the provision of redemption. And it starts in Genesis 1, and it goes all the way through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the ascension and his ascension into heaven, which may give you clues about Acts 2 and 3, for those of you who think about such things. So let's look at our chart. We started in Genesis 1, that's the prologue in in Genesis 12, God made a promise to Abraham. He says, Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And so we have been tracing this story of how God is building a nation. He had a son, Isaac, and then Jacob, and then Jacob had 12 sons. One of those was Joseph. He went down into Egypt to prepare a place for them, and then they came down, and they were down there 430 years, and they multiplied. Uh, we think probably 2 to 3 million people by the time they came out of Egypt. Now, if you're building a nation, you've got to have some people. The black dot in that square down there is Moses. You've got to have a leader. He took them out to Mount Sinai. You've got to have a culture. That's where he gave them the law, the way they were to live together, the way they were to relate, relate to him. And then you've got to have a land, and that's the book of Joshua is the land. 
Last week we talked about that sad book, the book of Judges. And in Judges we saw the, uh, how they were divided for 350 years. There was not a unity to the, it wasn't a nation, it was pieces. And they were all broken up. And Judges would periodically come on the scene for a while. So that was where we kind of left the story. Now again, we're going all the way to the end. In the end, that last song we sang is great because that's what it's going to be. The whole earth will be filled with the glory of God. That's going to be the end story, and we are working our way there. Remember, all through this, we're going to see unity, and we're going to see progress. Those are our bywords, unity and progress. We're going to see both of those as we work our way through here. So we're looking at the first 15 chapters of 1 Samuel today, and I'm not going to read all that. If I did, that's all I'd do uh, in this time. Uh, the primary characters are Samuel and Saul. Samuel was the last judge. Saul was the first king. So let's jump in. In chapter 1, we'll be to chapter 8 for our reading in just a moment, but in chapter 1 we have the story once again of a woman who cannot conceive. In fact, this seems to be a recurring theme all through these early books of the Old Testament. Time and again, there was a woman who could not have a child, and God gave her a child. This one turns out a little bit different. It says she prayed and God answered the prayer, and then it says that she gave him to the Lord. She gave Samuel to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and I promised the Lord I would give him to him, and he will be his all of his life. And I think that's great. But I, I've thought about this, and I think this should, be, this should be the attitude, this should be the spirit of every godly parent. That the children that God gives to us are really his. They're his children. And so we should have a wherever, whatever you have for them is best. This idea that God's plan is better than any of my selfish desires and plans for our children. And we all have them. I think all well-intentioned parents, we think about our children and we don't want them to suffer. We don't want them to do without financially. We want to keep them close so we can enjoy them and our grandchildren one day. That's what we want. And those are not necessarily bad things, and they're not necessarily wrong things, um, but they're not necessarily right things either. You see, godly parents never want their children to miss God's will for their lives. And I, I'm committed and believe that the first priority of every parent is to teach our children to find the Lord and then to follow the Lord. That's our job. And so parents today, I, I just want to challenge you whether your little guys are a month old or 15 years old or 25 years old, the first priority needs to be God's will in their lives, not your will, not your desires. Matthew 6, this is what we should claim for our children, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. God will give our children everything they need 
if they seek him first. I'm absolutely committed to that. I believe that in the depths of my heart. So Hannah gave her child, Samuel, to the Lord, and he went to live. I mean, this was a serious deal. He went to live with the priest. Now, it's interesting, the first few chapters of 1 Samuel, he tells the story there of Eli, and Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And a good bit of detail there in those chapters, and again, it's, it's this thing, you look at Scripture, and there seems like some really big things that happen that just get skimmed over. And then other things that seem to be, well, that's a lot of detail for this story that God saw fit to tell us, and so we need to pay attention now, this, this Phineas that's mentioned here is not to be confused with the Phineas that we read about earlier, who was, all, who was also a priest, and his uh, father was Eleazar, his grandfather was Aaron, the brother of Moses, and this Phineas, the first Phineas, was a godly man, and if you remember the story, he stood in the gap and stopped the plague of God on the nation of Israel that it was literally killing hundreds of people. No, not that Phineas. This Eli and Phineas, they're not so good. In fact, they're really bad because they made up their own rules about God's offerings and they were living sexually immoral lives and they would not receive correction from their father. They would not receive correction from their father. They would not receive correction from their father. I hope all the students are listening. And so we have what it says in 1 Samuel 3.20 about this. Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised you that members of your family would minister before me forever, but now the Lord declares, far be it from me, those who honor me I will honor, but those who despise me will be disdained. This is the law of the harvest. You will reap what you sow. It is threaded all through the scriptures. You're not going to reap a great harvest if you don't sow righteous living. It just never works that way. So the natural sons of Eli, who should have been his legacy, and should have been, it's, it's his lineage should have been his legacy for Eli, God cut them off. And if you, you can read about this where they die. Because God saw to it that they died. But God brought Samuel along. And, and Samuel is an alternate of sorts. And God decides that he's going to work through Eli. Through, excuse me, through Samuel. One more thing, one more thing about Eli, because it seems as though Eli tried to give his sons correction, but then he didn't really follow through. But let me just say this. It seems as though Eli, to me, seems like Eli knew the Lord. His sons did not know the Lord, which is a reminder to me that God has only children. God doesn't have grandchildren. So don't tell me about your godly parents, and don't tell me about Uncle Tom, who was a minister, or your grandmother, your saintly grandmother. You have to have your faith for yourself. That's the way it has to be. So 
the boy Samuel in chapter 3, we read the story about Samuel hearing the voice of God. Samuel went to bed one night and, and, and he heard his name called Samuel. And so he runs in there to Eli and he says, Eli, what, what do you want? And Eli says, I didn't call you, go back to bed. <laughs> and uh, second time, I didn't call you, go back to bed. Finally, the third time, Eli's kind of, he's, he's slow, but he's getting it. He says, just say to the Lord, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Oh my, and the Lord spoke to Samuel, and he said, Eli, you didn't restrain your sons, and there's not going to be an opportunity for them to turn around. There's not going to be a chance for them again, which is a sobering passage of Scripture. It makes us think we cannot trifle with the grace of God. We can't live in, in disobedience to God and think, well, I'll just turn back to God anytime I want because there's a God part of that equation that's always involved in turning back to Him. And there's an important part here, that is that Samuel heard God as a child. And, and let me just say this, parents, don't underestimate your children's ability to hear from God. It may begin when they're very young, and we need to encourage their curiosity and their openness to God. It hasn't been that long ago we had a baptism service here, and I don't think I'll ever forget this. After the service, I, I came back into the East Building, and the men had gone back over there to, to dress, and, and, and as I walked in, I, I heard somebody praying. And, and I came around the corner, and there in the hallway was a 30-something-year-old man and a 60-something-year-old man and a, probably about an 11-year-old child who was holding hands with the two men and leading them in prayer. Don't ever underestimate your children and their ability to hear from God and what God can do in their lives. Do not despise the day of small beginnings, it says in Zechariah. 1 Timothy 4.12 Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And so I say that to some of our students who went to Super Summer this morning, uh, this summer, and you were challenged and you've been inspired for God. That's your verse. Man up, woman up. You know, live it out. Be a challenge to those around you. Back to Samuel. He, he unified the nation of Israel, something that hadn't happened for 350 years. He brought them back together and he judged them for 30 years, it says. Samuel was a hero. It's a return back to God's plan, if we could have the chart again. So there was Joshua, and then there was Judges, and now today where we're living, we're going to see several of these things. We're going to see the prophet time, and that dot on the, on the prophet square, the third one there, that's Samuel. Samuel was the prophet. Prophet, because God's plan was that he would speak through a man to his people. This is the plan that God had for him. And, and so we have this... Um, if you see the circle in there, that represents the fact, that third picture, that represents that the nation is unified once again, the way it should be. God wants to do what, what it says there, God through his plan. Because this is God's plan. 
uh, always. God's plan is not to speak directly to the people, but God spoke through, and I think we have the next picture there, Ben. Yeah, God spoke through Moses to the people. He never was God directly to the people. He spoke through his leader. Now, this is the economy that we're seeing in, in Act 1 at this time of the nation of Israel. Now, we're going, to see, we're going to see progress in this, and we're going to see some change in the New Testament. But we're not there yet. This was God's plan to work through his people. So I come to our text, 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges for Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel. The name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. Let me put it on pause there for a minute. God only has children. God doesn't have grandchildren. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected. They have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who reigns over them will do. We're going to stop there. Samuel's sons didn't turn out well. Now, why was that? I, I don't know. Uh, the, only, the only little tidbit that maybe we can connect is the fact that their dad was a circuit-riding judge, and maybe he neglected his family, and he wasn't home to build into their lives the way he should. That's the purely conjecture. I would say about that, though, it's, again, it's the parent's job to train the children. It's not the church, it's not the school, it's not the grandparents, it's the parent's job to train the children. They say to him, so you're an old man, your son are not, sons are not qualified, appoint us a king like other nations. And Samuel was offended by this, and God says, don't take it personal, they're not upset with you, they don't like me leading them. This has been a pattern that we've seen all through the Exodus and all along the way. And he says, warn them, and, and Samuel does in the verses I didn't read. He says, listen, a king's going to take things from you for his own selfish desires. A king will take your sons and your daughters and your servants and your cattle and your produce and you will not be happy and you will cry out for God for relief and you won't get any. But verse 19 says the people didn't listen. We want a king. So God gave, said to Samuel, give them a king. And they get king number one, who was Saul. King Saul. Now, let me just say this about Saul. Saul started out fine. He started out as a humble man. In fact, he sounds a lot like Gideon. You know, he said when, when, they, uh, when they chose him, he said, listen, I'm from the smallest tribe, and uh, I'm from the least clan, the, the least of all the clans of, of Benjamin. He started out well. Uh, again, God, God uses small people in small places to do great things all the time. It says in 1 Samuel 10.6, the Spirit of the Lord will come on you in power, and you will prophesy with them, speaking of the other prophets, and you will be changed into a different person. 
Now, this is what God wants to do. This is what God wanted to do with Saul. Now, just a word about the Holy Spirit as you read through the Old Testament. You're going to see in the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit would come on individuals. It wasn't on all the believers, but it was on individuals for certain times to do certain things. And this is, this is an area where we're going to see progress. Remember, unity and progress. We're going to see progress. What does it say in 2 Corinthians 5.17? If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. He makes all of us who are in Christ into new creations. All of us receive the Holy Spirit when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. So the Old Testament came on people for events and situations. Now we all receive the Holy Spirit. We all have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, all of us who know Christ. Saul started well. He led them to defeat the Ammonites in um, chapter 11. Chapter 13 was kind of a turning point because Saul took upon himself the office of priest and he offered up burnt offerings to God. And God was not pleased. 1 Samuel 13, 13 and 14. You've done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had... He would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. It's the law of the harvest. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of the people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Now, you would have thought that that would have probably he'd have tried to turn around, but we get to chapter 15, and it's kind of the same thing. He sends them out and says, destroy all the Amalekites completely. And if you're struggling with him destroying all these people completely, you have to go back and listen to my message 6 or 7 where I gave the rationale for total destruction and why we can uh, make some sense of that in the Old Testament times. Again, that's a progress. It's different now than it was then. Anyway, but he spared King Agag and he saved the best of the livestock. And so Samuel shows up and, and, and Saul says, hey, I've, 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 I did what the Lord said. And Samuel says, what, what is this bleeding of sheep I hear? What is this lowing of the cattle that I hear? <laughs> You're supposed to kill everything. And I, hear these, I can hear the animals. Come on now. Don't tell me you've been obedient. And then Saul does what we do. He did the very same thing that you and I do. He said, the soldiers kept some of them and we saved them to sacrifice to the Lord. Okay, there's two pieces of that. And, 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 and you can just hold up the mirror right now and look at it, okay, if you want to. Number one, he blamed somebody else. The soldiers did it. And then he spun it. You know, he's like, we're going to take all these animals and we'll have a big sacrifice. And I'll guarantee you, he thought of that right in that moment. I'll guarantee you that was not the plan. We do that, don't we? We blame somebody else and then we spin the story. We spin the story so somehow we're the hero. Or at least we're okay. If we're not the hero, at least we're not bad. No, no, no. No, no, no. 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey 
is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the sin, the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Even if he was saving these for this mass, huge, the world's never seen burnt offering like this before event, it wasn't obedience. And so I think we need to be careful. Sometimes we do good deeds, we do good activities, we go to church. You know, we, we show up for VBS or teach children or help with Awana or give money to the church and somehow we think that that's going to substitute for our hearts and for obedience and it never, never does. It's interesting here, it says that Saul pleaded with Samuel and he pleaded with God and I don't know if Saul was insincere or if there was just a limit to God's patience there seems to be a pattern there seems to be a pattern here we're seeing in the Old Testament with the judgment that came on Sodom and Gomorrah the judgment that came on other people groups the inability for Saul to turn around that there can be a limit there is indeed a limit to the grace and the work of God Again, don't trifle on the grace of God if he's dealing with you. Verse 28 of chapter 15, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. And we'll find out who that is next time. Chapter 15 ends tragically. Samuel and Saul parted ways and Samuel never saw Saul again. Samuel mourned for him and God was grieved that he made Saul king. So God wanted to work through Saul, but he could not. So we have a couple more diagrams. God wanted to work through Saul. That was the plan, that God was going to redeem this plan and use a plan, even though it wasn't his first plan. But what happened was, the next one, Saul cut himself off from God. There's no connection with God. Saul's trying to run the kingdom himself. And it doesn't work for Saul, and it doesn't work for us when we leave God out of our story. So lots of applications today. There's some um, applications for our youth and the opportunity that they have to serve God now. There's some parenting applications about giving your children to God and not being surprised at what God will do in our children. But maybe the big one is don't ever substitute good works for being obedient to God. As always, if I can help you, please contact us in the office if you need help taking that next step for God. We have some who are going to join today, and um, Clark and Donna Rusko are in the back. Y'all can turn around and wave, Clark and Donna. Yay. And Richard Snook over here, Richard. And they'll be at the back, and uh, they're our newest members. They've gone through TABC 101, and done, they've done the interview, and they're ready to join us. And be a part of our fellowship here. So after the service, as you go out, if you would greet them. Also, remember, if you'd like to pray with Tim and Christy in rooms 5 and 6 after the service. Let's stand together for our closing prayer.
Father, we thank you today for uh, the model of Samuel, a man who could hear you and obey you. So Lord, help us not to be like Saul, but to be like Samuel. And listen for your voice, obey your voice, obey what you show us in your word, and we know without a doubt is true. Bless us as parents and grandparents. May we take our jobs seriously. Thank you for our children, and I just pray that they would take their faith seriously and realize that God uses them now and later. So, Lord, I pray even now that parents would give their children to you. And I pray even now, as you have in the past, that you would continue to raise children up out of this church who will follow you with a whole heart, who will be godly men and women seeking your will first. In Jesus' name, amen.